to the Coat Hanger on 2SER 107.3 FM. We acknowledge the traditional owners on the land in which we broadcast and record this show, the Gadigal of the Euronation, and we pay our respects to elders past and present. The Coat Hanger is a show and podcast where we tackle women's footy with a Sydney view. I'm your guest host, Peter Holden, filling in for the amazing Fee Lamb, and I'm joined by... Emma Phillips here with you from Bidjigal Land. Hi, I'm Coach Kiwi, coming to you from Wurundjeri Country, uh, Eastern Kulin Nation. And Tracy Kick coming to you from Darawal Country. On this week's show, we take a look back at week one of final football. I said final, no S on the end, because we only played one between uh, the Roos and the Dockers. We'll explain what the heck's going on with the Pies and the Lions. We also discuss who is the best player in the league from the coach's point of view. But first of all, we need to look back at a season that was for the GWS Giants because we are, after all, a Sydney show. Emma, Tracy, Kiwi, I want you to think about this. Okay, another tough season for the Giants missing out on finals, but out of a tough season, who really stood up this year for the orange, charcoal and white? For consistency, Pepper Randall um, in the back um, showed just um, the quality of her defence. So I think uh, she stood up. She was consistent. Um, I think uh, Nick Barr um, came into her own really on the half forward. That's, that was a bit of a, um, I don't think it was a revelation because uh, we know Nick's played some footy around that, that area in her earlier days in club footy, but I think it's really suited her, suited her speed. It gave them a bit of, bit more speed. Um, But I think she gained in confidence throughout the last, Four or five, um, four or five games. I mean, it was great to see Vic Beeson back on the track uh, in the last round, back into her form, and I think they really missed her. Um, and obviously, losing Elise Parker, who was also consistent, and Alicia even uh, ever consistent again. Um, uh, yeah, there, there are a couple of my. I'm just thinking about the. The newer players, so I'll have a reflection on that and throw to Kiwi or M for their thoughts. Well, probably Jess Doyle, I suppose, is at that point, Trace, isn't it? That she's the one that that really was a highlight for the Giants in a year that was really tough for them. Um, very young player, and you know, lo- loads of inexperience, but often played like a, a quite a mature player. And and what a, a great skill set she has. And um, we've mentioned her a number of times, and of course, the great fear that she'll move to the Swans, and I think that that seems fairly likely. Um, but look, you know, what a great way to start her career. And I, I'm sure she'll always be very grateful for the Giants giving her that opportunity and having such a great season at that age. She in the forward line alongside, um, and we do talk about Cora Staunton quite a bit. And over the years, in many, many ways, have we spoken about Staunton? You know, she's such a fascinating player, really, unlike anything I think football, Australian football has seen, you know. Um, and I've said this, I think, in the last episode, but I have just really enjoyed watching her back her own style of kicking for goal. You know, it is a hybrid. It really is a hybrid between the Gaelic game and the regulation drop punk for goal. But she's found her way home now. And by that, I mean to home to goal. You know, so many misses early on. 
um, at her age, getting the ball as often as she does in the fourth line. You really see her now being absolutely that leader down there and looking after people like Jess Doyle. Um, and that's, for me, that's a real highlight. It actually is quite the joy watching her do that, you know, super serious about how she goes about things. That game face is always hilarious, you know, but she's just getting it done. And I love watching that growth in her. I don't know how many more years we'll get to see Cora Staunton, but um, I hope it's a few. Kiwi, what do you reckon? Um, I think you absolutely nailed it that she is unlike anything Australian football has seen. And I think um, I think that's absolutely one of her weapons in that because she's unlike anything, no one knows how to defend on her. So um, so she's, you know, very um, you know, evasive the way that she runs the football and is very hard to to put a single opponent on her. Um so yes, she gets some goals. Like I, I think, yeah, I think Cora's had a had a fantastic season, and you know, too often people are, are retired by the time they're thirty three, and you know, she wasn't even playing the game then. And I think she's just showing. This is her fourth season, fifth season. She's probably her best season. You know, she's just absolutely come out stronger this year. And yeah, I hope we do get to see her for a little bit longer. Mm. Um, we know Elise Parker is an absolute weapon through the midfield. Um, and Alicia Eva is there to back her up. But I like the young Ali Delaway who um, came in this year. I'm uh, pretty sure she's from East Coast Eagles. She averages just a touch under six contested possessions a game and that was from playing all 10 games. So um, to be fresh in from, from that level to come in and play all 10 games and, and hold your own, I think, you know, is outstanding because she's reasonably small. She's not a big-bodied midfielder, um, you know, but goes really well. Um, Britt Stack, I, I love the way that she evolved as a defender. You know, she looked very sketchy early on and just um, – you know, she's obviously learned now how to use a body and where to put a body. And um, I thought as a defender, I thought she, you know, made some really tough, crucial tackles for someone who's come from a non-contact sport and for someone who had such a brutal injury last season. Mm. Um, and then the last couple of games, I think we started to see that that Gaelic style of the run off the half-back line. And, you know, hopefully she'll be back next season. I think it'll be a whole other aspect to the Giants' um, structure to have have a kind of running halfback like, um, like Brid. Um, but, yeah, I think some of the other young ones that came in, like Emily Pease, you know, the game against Bulldogs, the likes of Emily Pease, um, Ali Morfitt was good. Like all those young kids that came in, um, you know, it was a grubby game in a way of the style of the football that day, but they ground out the win after having, I think, what did we count, six or seven key players out that match. Um, so, um, Which match is that, Kerry? Sorry? The Bulldogs won at oh, Hanson yep. Park. Um where, you know, there was a bunch out with COVID protocols mm. Um, mm. and then somebody, was it Dalton or um, Bisto was injured as well? So yeah, just yeah Bisto that. and Dalton, I think. I oh, think it was for a pride me, day. Yeah, out of the newer players, I think Ellie Morfitt impressed me the most. I, I think as she grows um, and grows into that ruck roll and with Erin um, and what she might do, what they might be able to do with her across half forward or deep in the forward. And I agree with you about Cora. I think the smart move for Cora was to put a deep one-on-one, mm. you know, one out in the in the um, deep inside 50 because I, I think she was much more of a weapon there than she was when she was up in a higher half forward role. Yep, yep. Yeah, we- it was interesting they played less of Ali Morfitt late in the season. 
Um, Because I thought she came in and had good impact and and was a good balance between her and Erin. So it kind of left the load for for Erin for the last, especially the last game. Um, So I'm not sure if Ali was a bit injured. Um, but you know, there's some there's some good young players with Cass Simmons and um, Georgia Garnett, and I, I imagine that they would re-sign with Giants and just stay around for a few years and really, really build some strength around those young players because they're good sized bodies too, and um, and they've got a good run. I think that you know they use their legs well. The way the game's going, it's much more mobile style of game. We're seeing less of the, you know your big key target type players. And much more of a running style, and and that's what the Giants seem to be doing. You know, where they shift the forwards very high up the ground, and then they play a very running style to get back. Um, so certainly some positives come out of it. Um, it'll be interesting to see who switches to the other side of the bridge, um, mm. and you know who who could be the key targets for the Swans as they start to build their list. Yeah, I think the the challenge, I think we've alluded to this earlier, is how are they going to build a list? Uh, if you remember um, the Lions in, in 20, 2019, 2019, lost 11 players, um, you know, in the expansion to the Gold Coast and, you know, lost three to North Melbourne, um, you know, and I remember reading an article um, on the, an interview with Craig where he talked about that, that, you know, he he thought, holy hell, you know, how are we going to build a list? But they did manage to do that and, you know, go from strength to strength. But, I, you know, I think we've sort of said the list needs some work and so maybe that's an opportunity. If it does get sort of stripped a bit through the swans coming in, maybe there's an opportunity to rethink the list because I think they still need to rethink some of, the, some of their um, choices going forward just to give them you know, a bit more flexibility, a bit more speed, um, a bit more not just youth and not just experience but those players in between. Yes, totally. I think also the Giants have, um, you know, been really forward about taking some of the Victorians up to Sydney and, you know, homing them up there and getting them into the system. But I think this season may be a lot harder to convince players to do that with two new teams coming in that are based inside Melbourne. might be quite tricky to um, really encourage the better players to, um, to cross the border when they can really just sit at home and have their regular day job and not have to uproot everything. So, um mm. That could be something that would uh, be testing the recruiters for sure. Since Tracy mentioned the point about thinking about the list going forward, because a big chunk will end up going to the Sydney Swans, as we saw also with the, the Dockers and Eagles with that part of the expansion. Um, considering, let's say, the CBA kind of stays similar to what has been in the last few years, as in the rules to it, and let's say you can have two Tier 1 players. If you were to put on the list manager's hat right now, Tracy Kick, Emma Phillips and Coach Kiwi, who are the two players that you want to sign to Tier 1 with GWS Giants going forward and making sure Sydney keep their hands off of? Mm. Gee, that's a tough question, isn't it? And Tracy's smiling away there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wondered if you were smiling because you had an absolute definite answer, but that's clearly not the case, is it? <laughs> um, look, you have to say Elise Parker, don't you, as one of those? I mean, uh, just an outstanding midfielder. And the way the you... Giants play, surely the other one would be Cora. 
Oh, gee, a 40-year-old. Oh, no, what a no. controversial call. <laughs> That's controversial, yeah, no. I'm, I'm gonna say I didn't no. say it was what I would pick. No, I mean, I think she's great guns. Um, look, if if they can keep Biso, like me and Tracy have worked with her. She's absolute talent yep. and they just haven't had her this season at all, really. I know she played a little bit, but it wasn't her best and she is a talented player. And, um, you know, a genuine forward too, but she's, she goes great in the midfield that we have seen before. If they can get her through her injuries and get her back at 100%, I think she would be the other one to bolster um, Elise Parker in the middle there. Not, not a Chloe Dalton over Biso? Uh, nothing. I think Biso just gives a little bit more than Chloe. Like, Biso, is a, she can aerial mark the ball as well, and I've yet to really see – Chloe have that kind of finesse in the air. Mm-hmm. Chloe absolutely adds some run, but Biso can run as well. Um, you know, I, I think Dalton brings stuff. I just think what Biso has is just a little bit more and and perhaps some really good footy smarts. Like she's quite a smart footballer. That was you know, the thing I was going to say because I think, you know, Dalton is is you know what when we've what we've seen of her potential, there's great potential there, but she's still really in the early days of, of a footy IQ. And I think that Biso brings a lot more footy IQ and with Elise Parker gives you a, that mature middle middle 20, mid-20s player um, to, you know, with, with potential maybe to, you know, be in a leadership team or whatever. Mm. I think it's really interesting. I, th- I think it's interesting that you both have brought about Beeson as the other possible number or the second of those two that, that Pete put to us when really pound for pound Alicia Eva has it all over Beck Beeson. Really, stats-wise, leadership-wise, you know, skill-wise, perhaps even, and I, I see you, I mean, I'm a bit there, Trace, but I, <laughs> it, can we really say that if you absolutely had to pick two, you would put Beck Beeson in there ahead of Alicia Eva? I think that's a big call. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, you've worked with Alicia from her, you know, more junior days, Em, and I guess we've worked with Beck B since she was 16 or 17 as well. We're showing a bit of unconscious yeah. or conscious bias there. Um, uh, you know, in that announcement of the nine grants to AFL clubs, they were talking about a grant going for Alicia to be the next AFLW coach. I mean, is she really going to move out of playing to coaching in the next 12 to 24 months? I would not think so. But anyway, um, if she did, then, you know, then be so for sure. Um, But uh, you raise a good point. Um, You know, she's the current captain um, and, you know, uh, has demonstrated great leadership I think we talked another time, though, about her potentially being a bit of a product of the system, and that's kind of there's a there's a bit of something in that for me um, around kind of maintaining the culture of um, footy clubs and the system um, and not challenging it. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm not sure, and you know Alicia better than I do, um, but I'm not sure that I've seen that. But I know you know she's been very strong vocal you know voice in this in the CBA and all of those sorts of things. So, yeah. I, no, I, reasonable point. Reasonable I won't, point I won't give you an arm wrestle for yeah. how you win. <laughs> Very happy camp at the Frio Dockers. They travelled over to Melbourne to Arden Street Oval in which they defeated North Melbourne and advance on to the next round of finals. Um, the Fremantle Dockers, are they on the path? to possibly claiming the flag that they felt that they probably should have had in 2020 before COVID appeared. Someone else can talk about this game. 
Someone get a box of tissues for him. <laughs> Look, what here, a disaster. Em, when they started and I was cheering North on, I I thought North had it. Mm. Like I thought started you know, well. They did start well. They started strong. And I think it was at the point where it was um, Freo got to five goals and it just looked like there was a switch that went on with North and they started playing this panic football. Mm. And even when they got the ball forward, they just weren't getting it there with quality and they just weren't yeah. getting decent shots on goal. Um, and it just and that's what it just looked like. They were just in this this state of not Northness. Yeah, yeah, sort of within within the themselves, weren't they? I think yeah. they, they, there was certainly a panic button hit, and they never recovered it. They never, they didn't find a lot of resilience. I think at the start of the game, I think it was Gabalis was started off like a hot rocket. Yeah. I thought, oh goodness, you know, never seen her. I've never really noticed her being mm. so amazing, and I was like, oh, here we go. You know, she's risen to, risen to the occasion for finals, and then. Yeah, just slowly sort of Frio settled into something and then I started to see uncharacteristic errors from yeah. North Melbourne. I think it was about the panic and they weren't really getting any depth of entries into their 50 despite having um, um, Randall and King up there. But then you had those injuries like Emma King went off and did, was she really half-baked when she came back on mm-hmm. after that hit? And so, but uh, to Frio's credit, man, they just ran they, home with it. They played um, some good footy, didn't they? Yeah, I enjoyed the game. I thought it was a really, um, really enjoyable game and the scoreline probably didn't reflect the contest. Mm. Mm. Gee, they were well served by their captain in Miller, I think, Frio as well. I mean, she just, oh, what a player she's become, you know, and to take a game like that on in a final, just really rise to it. She was just unstoppable. And I thought North did very little to <laughs> curb her influence on the game. You know, she had a, a you know, big mark and, um, you know, Bowers collected a number of possessions. It wasn't probably her usual um, dominating self, but they got enough from her. And I think last time the, the two sides met, she wasn't there. So that, that's got to have had some impact too, I think. You sort of feel like players around her just knowing she's near them, you know, but they're, they're near her. Absolutely. The yeah, that really matters for that, loved, don't they? Um, you said uh, Hattie Miller made her mark, but I can't remember what quarter, but there was that stretch she did for a ball that looked like it was going over her head, you know, about... Yes. out from the goal square. Wasn't it and, a great um, mark? And she just did this incredible stretch. It was like the sheer desperation, like tippy finger, you know, yeah. the edge of her fingertips and just kind of stuck it. And yeah. I think she was surprised as well. But, um, yeah, no, I have absolutely loved Hayley Miller. In fact, she would have been Peter's other question, even though I wasn't going to go for another midfielder for that conversation. But um, she, she's been so impressive this year. Mm-hmm. AFL Coaches Association Champion Player of the Year was uh, selected over the week. Um, And in the end, winning on 74 votes from the Brisbane Lions, Emily Bates. So well deserved. I think the thing is, and we talk about this because we're a Sydney football show, but the Brisbane players are, you know, so consistent across their lines and across the team and have such a team focus that that you don't really think about stars or out-and-out stars in at Brizzy, but I think Batesy, you know, has been an out-and-out star for most of the time, but she really has come into her own again this year in the same way that I suppose Hayley Miller, I mean, she was fantastic last year, but I think just her all round her game, her composure, her leadership on the field um, and, you know, what she brings to that midfield 
is just sensational. So, yeah, I'm absolutely stoked that she was chosen by the coaches. It's a particularly good win, I think. Sorry, Kevin, just a quick one. Just a particularly good win because of the quality of people around her at the Lions as well. You know, that it's difficult. We often have teams at that level that take votes off each other. We hear that kind of phrase a lot. But that wasn't the case, and that tells you something about just how outstanding a year she's had. Um, yeah, if, um, I don't know if you guys saw the video when they um, told her about it, but um, just the way that Craig sort of said that this is the most important vote because this is voted by the coaches who deem, you know, who's who's the hardest player to play against or who did the most damage against your team for that game. And, and so she's come out on top numerous games to um, collect so many points. And, and so sometimes I feel like we don't give enough attention to awards like this that is voted by the peers or voted, mm. voted by the real people reading the game, you know, like, the best and fairest is the umpires, which, as we know, it's usually the midfielders or whoever they see the most times in a game generally gets, gets um, you know, more votes. So, um, family and, and she won it by quite a bit too. Um, so, you know, just fantastic. And, you know, and as you said, Trace, just that, that sheer experience that she's got and, and the people around her like, you know, what a star. And, you know, I, I still think they could go all the way. And it's probably worth just quickly mentioning too that, as you say, Kiwi, she uh, ran away with it really with uh, it was a six four six votes in the end, but from um, Anne Hatchard and Ashley Riddell who tied for second. So that sort of makes up. And in third place, third, fourth, have you decided to view that? But Ebony Marinoff with 60 votes. Yeah, it's an impressive lineup and all and the you, top clubs you, represented really. And when you say those three names, we hear those names so regular, Riddell, mm. Hatchard, Marinoff. I don't think we hear Batesy's name mentioned near. Yeah, and, you're right. As often it's a, it's as a good the point. other ones. Probably will now. <laughs> well, yes. Emily Bates is sitting out a waiting game at the moment. The weekend just went past and the Brisbane Lions were meant to have played on Saturday against Collingwood uh, in the other qualifying final. However, due to COVID affecting uh, the Collingwood Football Club, a few players having it and a number of being close contacts, they couldn't make the minimum number required, which was to have 16 fit players and then a bunch of top-ups available to create a side. Uh, as of recording, they had not officially announced yet of when the new time slot would be for this final. There were rumours of the game being on the weekend. There were rumours of the game being played on a Wednesday night and then the winner backing up to play a Sunday game against Melbourne. I'll, I'll put you all in the coach's shoes of Craig Starsevich for a moment. How do you try and handle your Brisbane Lions side, which no doubt you've kind of wound up, you've got them all ready for this final, and now you're just kind of waiting, waiting, waiting? I'm, I'm going to jump in, Pete, because I think if we go back to listen to uh, the conversation I had with Phoebe Monaghan earlier in the season, um, they have the attitude and they've had it all season, we'll play anywhere, uh, any day against anyone. Um, and I think that they will have maintained that conversation. Um, they knew with a bit of notice that they weren't going to play this week. So I don't think the kind of the anticipation of week, it wasn't like it was pulled out, out from under their feet, you know, the day before. Um, so I feel like they, I think that that's what they'll be focusing on. They've done it all season. They'll continue to do it and they'll continue to rise to it. And that's, I think, the conversation that they'll be focusing on. I think um, I think they've just shown some real elite fitness too. So when they had those games back to back to back, they did not seem phased at all. So if if they win, 
you know, and have the short turnaround, I don't think it's going to be a factor, um, you know, or that big of a factor for them. Yeah, they're a professional outfit, aren't they? In a semi-professional kind of way. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> go to work and then yes, go to that's right. till ten o'clock at night kind of way. Yeah, just I a can of worms it, in that. I think the other thing, and I've expressed this, is that there will have been some disappointment, I'm sure, because they were, of course, supposed to play a double header with the Lions um, at the with the Lions Port game, and it's really the only chance they've had to get on the Gabba. Um, you know, since they won the premiership last year and, you know, with a lot of disrupted home games played at Maroochydore or Metricon, which aren't really their home ground. Um, so, the, you know, where will the, where will this game be played is my other question. Mm. And the flip side of that is then the Collingwood VFLW players were kind of put on notice that they might be called in. So imagine the excitement if you're the second tier program and it's like, woohoo, everyone's sick, I get my chance. And that's why you need a motivational speech from Stephen Bradbury beforehand, just to go, (laughs) when everyone everyone falls over, that's your opportunity. (laughs) Now, we're almost out of time, but before we go, um, important news that happened during the week, Port Adelaide are the last team uh, left looking for a coach. Um, Coach Kiwi, the Essendon Football Club have come out and announced a coach. No, it's not Daisy Pearce, as was reported a couple of weeks ago, that apparently they were trying to uh, chase and, and, and offered the role to her. They've, in fact, chosen... A woman to coach the side, the second woman to be coaching an AFLW team for next year. Beck Goddard, of course, will be coaching Hawthorne. Uh, Natalie Wood, who was an assistant coach at Geelong, coached Geelong VFLW for a season, was an assistant coach at the Western Bulldogs. She is now appointed head coach of Essendon for the AFLW. Yeah, look, you know, I think um, Nat led the way in that she was the first female that got a coaching gig full-time in the female scope back then. And then... um, COVID hit and budgets came and um, and so that role changed a couple of years later and um, and then she's been at Bulldogs. And um, Nat has quite an influence around um, AFL Victoria. She does a lot of the educational programs and development of um, newer coaches coming through. Um, she was, you know, played plenty of football. She played plenty at uh, Melbourne Uni. She played a few seasons at Darabin Falcons. Um, she's one of those few that did the cross crossover, which um, – you know, it's pretty tough to, to breach the two clubs that have such great rivalry. Um, but she was one of those ones. And, yeah, so now she's um, out at um, completely different colours. There's no blue at all on that uniform. And um, she'll be she'll be taking uh, the Bombers. And, you know, they've already got their first signing. And certainly I expect she'll be down at all their games now um, rather than the Bulldogs games. So, you know, that's um, probably a little shift for her in, in that side of town, but different style that they play from what the Bulldogs have been playing too. And um, just fantastic um, that we've had a female come through. She was part of um, the She Can Coach initial um, intake back in 2018 that was, and then she was part of the first BHP uh, Women's Coaching Academy along with Jane Lange and um, – who else is there? Michelle Cohen, Chrissy Steen, uh, Narelle Smith. So there are a whole bunch of coaches, female coaches have been around for a while and they all did their uh, level three that season. So um, so she's certainly been a name in the mix in uh, the high-performance program. So um, well done to Essendon, appointing a, um, a quality female coach and, um, and not someone who just pulled on an Essendon jumper years ago. I think it's fantastic. 
Now, the reason we had to hurry through things is because Tracy Kick has got a special guest on the line from the GWS Giants. Ali Dalloway, thanks for talking to us at The Coat Hanger. How are you going? I'm good. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Thanks so much. Now, you you joined the Giants in an interesting way um, at the beginning of the season. I, I think Isadora McClay, unfortunately, um, did an ACL. And she actually had come in for Emily Goodsir, who was pregnant. Um, and how did you find out um, about um, getting on the list? And uh, were you really surprised? How did that all go? Yeah, so a bit of an interesting one for me, not the traditional getting drafted. But, um, yeah, no, I was um, actually pretty shocked when I found out. Um, obviously saw that um, she's quite a good friend of mine, so I saw that she'd gotten pregnant um, and then maybe got a little bit hopeful when that happened about getting a spot. Um, but then obviously with Foopsie and everything, it sort of was just a bit out of my mind. And then I just randomly one day got a call from Al McConnell and I was like, why is he calling me? And then he basically told me that um, she, Foopsie uh, Isadora had gotten injured and which is obviously devastating for her, but I just offered me a contract and I was, I was so shocked. I couldn't believe it. I actually had to ask him, like, is this for real? <laughs> because I just, yeah. You're being a trickster. Yeah. Like, Stop, please. But, no, it was, yeah, it was it was awesome. I, he just said I needed to go do a medical. I did a medical the next day, and then the next day was preseason, so I was pretty much straight into it. I didn't really have a lot of time to process it. Um, but, yeah, it was it was great. That's awesome. And you'd been in the Winter Series program for quite a couple of years. Um, I'd met you in there, I think. And um, and had you been in the train-on squad for a couple of years as well? Um, no. So I was just uh, in the Winter Series. So the past um, two to three years, I think I was in there. Um, and I wasn't in part of the train-on squad. So um, just did the Winter Series and then um, played in my Sydney footy team. Um, and just, yeah. East Coast guess, Eagles. East Coast Eagles, yeah. So I yeah. guess I just um, performed well in that season, 2021 season. Um, and then unfortunately we had lockdown, so it was a bit hard for the coaches to see anything more that year. But, um, yeah, the Winter Series was a really good way to sort of show your talent. So, yeah, it was, it was great. Fantastic. And tell us about your journey to footy um you know you've played at the east coast eagles for a number of years how did you get involved in footy and had you played other sports what tell us a little bit about that yeah so i am probably in my i'd be in my fifth or sixth year of playing footy i started at the east coast eagles um back when they first started the club so i was in the very first women's team which is really special to be a part of that um and then yeah i just played there for the last couple of years, I um, prior to that, I grew up playing netball. So I did all the netball academy and pathways and stuff like that. Um, and I played touch footy as well as my second sport. So did a lot of sport growing up, did athletics, swimming when I was younger, stuff like that. So pretty um, sporty family. But, um, yeah, I was in high school, I think, when I started playing footy. So I was in year 12 actually and I was – sort of getting a bit, um, wanted a bit of a change with my sport, um, was getting a bit over netball and, um, yeah, just wanted something different. I'd had a PE teacher who was um, starting a 
a girls team and I was like really wanting to get involved and basically he just told me I should play he taught me how to kick he told me everything I know pretty much and then I from there was like I'm going to start playing and then yeah just progressed from there so bit of a like different pathway to some like didn't grow up playing Oz kick or anything like that so it was a bit of a um a bit of a change but um there's like obviously all the things you learn from netball and doing all the academy stuff it really helped like transition into the sport so yeah now I wonder did you learn your tackling prowess from netball I don't think so because I noticed in your stats so tackles seem to be quite a feature of your game in fact you had 10 tackles against the cats in round 10 um, and quite high tackle numbers right across uh, even in your debut against the Suns you had six tackles um do you love tackling what is it about tackling you seem to be you know racking up the stats in tackles which is yeah I think maybe coming from the netball background it was something I just needed to like it wasn't maybe aggressive enough for me I just needed a sport where I could let it out (laughs) um but yeah I um love the aggression of footy and I'm a very competitive person so the tackling is something that I like to bring in my game a bit of mongrel and stuff like that so yeah Definitely didn't come from netball, though. No, I know. I was being facetious. Um, So um, you debuted against the Suns and you played every single game. Yes. Which is a fantastic achievement. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, Which is the game that you think um, is a highlight for you um, during the season? Any particular Um, or any other kind of standout moments for you? Personally. Yeah, obviously, um, like the debut, you can't go past the having a debut game and getting the win as well. That's pretty special. Um, but there are a couple of games that stand out for me throughout the season. Um, one in particular is the Western Bulldogs game, I guess not for like an individual performance wise, but um, the story behind that game. And we had majority of our players out with COVID um, and we had like a a super young team. I think every person on our list was needed for that game. So um, we literally went into that game with no fear and we are just like, we have nothing to lose. So um, we were at home as well, playing in front of a home crowd. Um, and it was awesome at Henson Park. Like the crowd was, was so good to see. Um, and yeah, that was super special. They, um, we obviously got the win that day and um, yeah, I'll never forget that just because of how like crazy it was that we had all that, like a lot of our key players out um, and super young side. And we just got, got the job done, which was really special. Um, And the round 10 against Geelong, that one is pretty special for me as well, because um, obviously getting the win in Geelong, um, always like getting the win when you're away. Um, But yeah, it was um, our last game of the season, obviously coming off a pretty disappointing season. For us, um, it was, yeah, it was really good to get the win. And I think it was just a really hard-fought game and everyone sort of had a role, everyone played their role, even if it meant you didn't get as many disposals as you wanted. Everyone just knew what they had to do. And I guess for me that was 10 tackles. (laughs) Yeah, fantastic. And, you know, I mean, you know, sometimes 
we we go by stats rather than you know by the yeah. by the assists or the the other roles you play off the ball, which are often just as important as the stats. So it's really hard to measure. Sometimes we measure footy by stats, but I notice in the demons game, you know, against a really quality side, you also had I think fifteen possessions yeah. um, playing against a really experienced midfield. Did you did you play all of the season in the midfield? I'm fairly sure you did, but did you have some time on half? Forward yeah, I um, I probably spent the back half of the season just in the midfield. Um, the first sort of four, maybe three or four games, I went from the wing to half forward to in the midfield. Um, so yeah, I start. I think I started the season on the wing. Um, and played yeah, a couple quarters there and a couple qu- quarters at half forward. I guess. Um, and then we did have a couple of injuries in the midfield. So um, that I was quite lucky to get a, get some more game time in there and get my, um, like, get my feet. So, yeah, it was really good playing in the midfield. Like, obviously such a experience to play in that, like, in that midfield, like playing against the Melbourne Demons midfield, the Adelaide midfield, like, it's pretty surreal. Um, and to have uh, Parks and Alicia so when she came back um but yeah Parks and Alicia were super helpful in the mids and they sort of helped me find my feet yeah the wing is a challenging position because it's um it's very tactical it's very positional you've got to learn a lot about where to be um was that all a new learning for you when you were thrown on the wing at the beginning of the season yeah I um predominantly have always played in the midfield so um I played a little bit of the wing throughout pre-season, um, throughout the back half of pre-season. And, yeah, I guess being put in that position, I sort of just had to um, try and, you know, not to think about the structure too much, like sort of not get like get it in my head. Otherwise I would sort of forget to play footy, um, which can be hard on the wing. You're sort of thinking about where you're going at every stoppage and how you set up um, and where you should be in defense and stuff like that so um yeah it was it was a big learning for me um but I think it yeah it was a massive it was a massive help going from the wing to half forward and then to the mids I sort of got a got to experience a a lot of different positions so it was really good yeah fantastic effort um and how have you juggled the demands of AFLW and whatever you do study or professionally personal life how have you found that especially uh, you know, this season I think it's been particularly, you know, hard um, as I think last season was with COVID. But, um, yeah, how do you juggle all of that? How do you manage your time? Yeah, it's um, this season was pretty intense, I think, compared to previous seasons because of COVID. It was pretty crazy while we were, like, in the middle, in the middle of the season. And, um, yeah, we were sort of you wanted to still have a life, but you also didn't want to get COVID and miss a game and be set back. So we were sort of trying to stay at home as much as we could. Um, but yeah, I, it took a while to adapt to it. Um, I was working part-time as a case manager before I got signed with the Giants. And then when I got signed a couple of weeks into preseason, I just sort of thought I needed to, um, cut down my hours a bit. So I left that job and I've started doing some more casual work, um, still in the same industry. So I work in the disability industry. Um, So I'm sort of just doing some more casual hours just to fit in with that um, because I'm also at uni. So I wanted to get that done. So make that a priority. 
Um, so I'm doing psychology as well. So that's pretty hectic. So I think trying to find the right balance is really important for AFLW players. And it's, yeah, it can be quite hard at times. And at times you're like, yeah, trying to find the right balance between how much do you want to work or how much do you want to dedicate to footy without losing too much um, too much income. Wider. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, especially income, yeah. And yeah. it's exhausting. It's exhausting. I remember yeah. how exhausting it was juggling yeah. um, when I was coaching. So I know how exhausting it is. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so um, I wonder a um, couple of other questions. Um, what do you think about a potential season kickoff in August? <laughs> that question's popped up a lot in the last couple of days. <laughs> um <laughs> Look, I think for the future of the game, it's a really good idea. And I think um, having it later in the year especially will um, will help a lot of a lot of girls and a lot of teams. Um, playing in summer is quite a lot on the on the body and um, stuff like that. So I do completely agree with the season being moved. Um, the fact that it's being moved this year, I'm not too sure, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how we go. I just think. Awesome. Um, like I'm, I'm okay with it personally. Like if I had to, I don't really have um, like a job to put in leave for or things like that. But I know a lot of other girls in the comp would really struggle with the change and teachers who have taken term one off, they may, may have to take the next couple of turns off. So I think it will really impact them. But um, for me personally, I'm, I'm pretty easy going. I'm happy to just keep playing footy, but <laughs> yeah, I do understand it's um it's it's a bit tolling on the body too. Like we need to make sure we really get um a good break if it does happen. Um that probably mean preseason would start in like nine or ten weeks or something like that. So it sounds a bit scary to say that, but yeah, we just have to make sure we rest up. <laughs> and do you think it would write off participation of AFLW players in the AFL Sydney competition? Yeah, potentially. Um Considering the Swans are coming in as well, um, I know they'll probably go for a couple of couple of girls in the Sydney comp. So um, yeah, it could potentially affect the numbers there. But I think the um, the game is growing quite a lot. So I know at our club we've had quite a lot of girls registering. So I'm sure they'll they'll find enough depth throughout the teams. Yeah, great, great. And the final question for you: uh, Which two teams are going to meet in the grand final? Oh, it's a hard one. I've been thinking about this. I think it will be Melbourne and Adelaide, to be honest. I think okay, it's all been pushed back a week, we see know, today. Yeah. yeah. So I think um, Melbourne have finished the season really strong, um, so they're looking pretty, pretty good. And Adelaide throughout the year have been super consistent and it's hard not to see them in the grand final. Like they're just such a strong, well-drilled side. And it'll be a really good game, whoever it is. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Well, Ali, congrats on an awesome um, debut season. And um, thanks for giving us your time today to talk to the coat hanger. And uh, I think you've pretty much probably cemented your spot in the uh, next squad <laughs> with your efforts this year. So um, best of luck with your AFLW footy and, um, and enjoy your little break. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's been really good to chat to you. 
on that note, it's time to wrap things up. Thank you once again to uh, the wonderful Emma Phillips, to the wonderful Tracy Kicks, and the outstanding coach Kiwi. This has been another edition of the Code Hanger for AFLW Season 6. We'll be coming to you every week on 2SCR 107.3 FM. Be sure to catch us on our socials. We are at Code Hanger Footy on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And don't forget, you can always catch a full version, extended version of the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, for the best hub of views in women's footy, tune into the Code Hanger.